2: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable.
3: Ah. Hi. Hang out for just one second. Coming up this Friday on the After Party Podcast with me and Kimberly Johnson, it's part three the final chapter of our special year-end shows about the 1980s. We're going year by year talking about the news events, music, movies, pop culture, all the things from the 1980s. We already covered 1980 through 1985 in parts one and two. So this Friday, December 15th, it's going to be 1986 through 1989, the year I graduated from high school. But the only way you can listen is by subscribing to the After Party level or the Ultimate Edition level on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash show So don't miss out. Again, go to show.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. Choose the after-party or ultimate edition levels, enter your information, and you're all set. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast, and now let the cartoons begin.
0: The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska.
3: Hi, this is
4: Leslie Nielsen. Merry Christmas, you eggnog-sucking patsies.
0: The Bob Seska Show.
3: From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, December 13, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 1057 of the Biden-Harris administration, 327 days until the twenty four presidential election. You can find me on threads and Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter, BobSeska underscore ghost, Seska, and our Patreon page is BobSeskaShow.com. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, I got a DM from Laurie at the All Access Star Trek podcast, one of my favorite podcasts about interviewing John Billingsley on my show. You might know John as Dr. Phlox from Star Trek Enterprise. He also played a cartographer in a Big Block of Cheese Day episode of The West Wing and so many other memorable roles. So naturally I said, hell yes, I'd love to talk with Dr. Phlox. Are you kidding me? So it turns out John is one of the principals with the Hollywood Food Coalition along with his wife, Bonita Friderici, who you might know from Chuck or the West Wing, Bones, and more. The coalition is doing incredible work, feeding more than 80,000 people a year. HOFOCO.org, H-O-F-O-C-O.org. And on January 13, John is hosting the Trek Talks Telethon to raise money for the coalition. TrekTalks.net for more. Links in the description, as always. And if you're looking to make a charitable contribution here at the end of the year, hint, 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 HOFOCO.org. Okay, meantime, don't forget to support this podcast by subscribing to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Show. And this is me talking with John Billingsley and Bonnie Friderisi. More
2: fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show.
3: Oh man, this is so exciting. Before we talk about the Hollywood Food Coalition though, I have to check in about your cat, because when we first started corresponding, you said, Oh my god, my cat's got this intestinal problem. Is everything resolved? We have to make sure our priorities are in order here.
4: All is good. I think oh, good. I think our cats both, you know, they bolt their food. And I, I understand that. That's the nature of cats. It's the nature of me. Yeah. But sometimes I think they eat faster than they can digest. <laughs> We're talking about our cats' intestinal issues, Bonnie. I ah! you arrived. At the perfect time.
3: She's like, what what kind of show have I gotten myself into here?
4: <laughs> we're gonna move on we're gonna move on to another topic i don't want to get bonnie started on our cat's intestinal issues oh my god i just
1: asked something was there barf is this
4: not today no 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 oh no. you
1: just thought you'd swing that right uh, there. well
4: no there's a history of bob and i've had a history talking about cat barf and you know the nature of of some of the issues <laughs> we have a life bob and i together that actually i'm sorry doesn't include you and i'm, I'm sorry i have to break it to you like this but Bob we have a whole thing about people. intestines
3: and cats. That's kind of yeah. our connection. John and yeah. I simpatico yeah. on this very yeah. specific issue. <laughs> well, Bob, Bonnie, Bonnie, happy Bob.
4: Happy
1: for you both.
3: Hi. Hi, Bonnie. You know.
4: you pop your chair a little bit so you're more There's visible? There's no
1: here. It's okay. Oh, it's here. okay. I like being in the background.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Anybody who knows uh, can tell you that is a lie.
3: Well, you know what, we've got to talk about how the both of you met, because I was looking through your respective credits, and a lot of the same shows were popping up in both lists, uh, Bones, Enterprise, how did the both of you first connect? Uh,
4: well, it depends upon who tells the story, yeah, there there are true. variations on the theme of how we met, would mm-hmm. you like to tell the embarrassing part about me, and then I can tell the embarrassing part about you?
1: There's no embarrassing part about me. <laughs> There you go, then. <laughs> of course not.
4: I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Bonnie says that she saw me in a play, came backstage to say hi to other actors, complimented me, and I didn't give her the time of day because I was busy, busy hitting on another woman. I, I don't. Wow.
3: Okay.
1: True. Well, it wasn't. I mean, you, you, you said that very succinctly. Um, I went to see a production of Great Expectations with a friend of mine who's a lovely, lovely director. And we were sitting there. John played Herbert Pocket, and he was relatively new to the LA theater scene. So both of us were like, "Who is that guy?" He was really, you know, stood out from everyone else in the cast. He's just that way as an actor. Yeah. And so I had come to see another friend in the play, and I had uh, given him my regards. And then I was going to go over to John uh, to say how much I liked his work, and he just didn't. He just was fixated on going out for drinks with. a a, a blonde woman that i I now think i I know very well
4: i don't know if this is your experience i i find that you know in in a partnership when the other person tells a version of a story it it bears absolutely no resemblance to your memory whatsoever it's like
3: that's right but between the two versions they the versions complement each other yeah
1: you sure well, see, the thing is, you never, you never acknowledged me, so you wouldn't really remember the story because you didn't even. I just finally walked away. I've, I was I've, like, I don't
4: know. This could just be something you've created from whole cloth—the <laughs> idea that you praised this complete stranger—and I, I don't know. That well, I
1: never actually was able to praise you because you never.
4: Did you actually speak
1: to me, or were you I just know. hollering
4: from a distance? Hey, you! <laughs>
1: How do I know? Well, you were hollering across the courtyard. It was a noise within.
4: However, how we really met was at a commercial audition that was ridiculously backed up back when we were doing commercials. And we had a mutual friend who effectively served as a chaperone so that we were able to flirt for two hours without too much fret. Hmm. And I asked Bonnie for her number, and she said, in spite of the fact that I don't date people, because I think people are basically sick and twisted, <laughs> I will give you my number. All
3: are right. Some- that sounds great. You know what? We are birds of a feather, Bonita. <laughs> That's for sure.
1: Well, I was trying to point out the fact that you just don't know if someone's a serial killer. Like, yeah. when they ask you out, because... You're on your best behavior, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. pretending to be great and you never never know. Yeah. Now, I will say John also had a date that night and he was he was fretting about the fact that he was going to be late for his date.
4: So, and I grant you that that is not perhaps the best way to actually But I got I get points for candor. I broke up with that girl the first thing in the morning.
3: (laughs) See, I'm listening to all of this. And you know what, we could take this entire portion of the conversation, slip it into those interview segments from when Harry met Sally, and it would fit perfectly, because you've got the great stories. And that's always the foundation, I think, of a great relationship is to have a great origin story. You know what I mean?
4: I, we have been we have been also extremely lucky and blessed. We're very happy. Second marriage for both of us. We met at exactly the right time. We were both segwaying from theater into film and TV. We were on the same career path. We had the same values. Yeah. We both always had a strong interest in social service and giving back. And mm-hmm. it's just been, uh, a, you know, a, a match made in heaven.
3: <laughs> That's exactly right. And I've got to give a fist bump to Bonita, who's a fellow Virginian. I was uh, born and raised in northern Virginia, uh, and you are originally from Charlottesville, right?
1: I I am. Uh, my father taught at UVA. Uh, oh,
3: fantastic. He was
1: a thermodynamic engineer, uh, but we moved we moved from there when I was five. Okay. Um, because my my father joined the aerospace industry here in mm-hmm. LA. Oh, so interesting. They, but my brother did uh, go to UVA. Uh, also, he went a couple years as an artist.
4: I didn't have much to say to Bonnie's father because as soon as I found out he was a thermodynamic engineer, my little brain just went. <latt reporting> <laughs> <laughs> See,
1: that's,
0: <Blessings>
3: that's surprising because I kind of peg you, John, as someone who's just in the know when it comes to all that stuff. Like you're an expert in just about it. Like, you know, a little bit about every different field. I don't know why. I, uh, I get that yeah. impression from yeah. not only you but the I, parts I, you buy. Yeah. I
4: read a lot, but I read a lot of fiction and I read yeah. a lot of history. What I know about thermodynamic engineering, quantum mechanics, mm. physics, etc., could fill a thimble. No, <laughs> wouldn't fill a thimble. I still have plenty of room in the thimble to swirl my little pinky. <laughs> so cool,
1: yeah. Isn't and uh, that the most mechanical minded.
4: Hello. In fact, I have the lowest recorded score in the history of the state of Connecticut in a, something called the DAT, the Diagnostic Aptitude Test, that tests for spatial relations and mechanical aptitude. Yeah. Maybe somebody's look, gotten below my low bar, but in mm-hmm. 1977, my guidance counselor said, I, I don't think anybody could ever get lower than this.
3: <laughs> See, that's like
4: you got, you got like 9%
3: yeah yeah
4: but like a little thing they show you like how do i put this flap into that box to make this construct it's like i have
3: no
4: idea. <laughs> i just throw that box out and get another box
3: Buddy, would you come fold this box see I-, I will say this though you're really good at playing experts i don't know what it is john about your know. personality your acting style that lends itself to playing people who seem to know a lot about everything there's just there's that vibe i don't know if the if anyone said that I to you no before, you know, vibe, you, yeah. know what I'm, you know what I'm uh, talking
4: honestly, about? I, I attribute it purely to having decent pronunciation skills. <laughs> See, if you read a lot, you can a polysyllabic word, you can sound it out fairly quickly and you can right. understand. Even if you don't know what the hell it is. Yeah, you can say, oh, sesquatorian. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know what sesquatorian means. It <laughs> might not even be a word, but I can just flow fling it out there.
1: The sesquatorian
4: principle.
3: That's exactly you know, right.
1: <laughs>
4: I don't understand half of what I'm saying, three quarters. It's true.
1: He's a word slinger. Yeah. He he, he works very large. I have often said to him, You do know that no one knows what you're talking about. They're just nodding their head because they don't want to.
4: I consider that a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. I consider that a weapon.
3: So, about about seven years ago, you founded the nonprofit organization, People Unwilling to Sit on Their Haunches or Push for short. Mm What inspired you to get started there? Let's let's jump into volunteerism here and and talk about that origin story.
4: Donald Trump. We had been volunteers, you know, at different points in our lives, and it's always been important to me. But Trump's victory, I felt to me personally and what it represented and what I think it Mm. spoke to about the debasement of our society, Um, it seemed to demand a response. And I'm political, but I'm not particularly well suited to being in the political arena, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, sharp elbows and highly competitive and my wife very graciously uh was willing to help me figure out what i wanted to do i pushed acting aside and started thinking about what more community oriented service might look like Mm -hmm. and the initial idea was to try and find ways to get a lot of people to help identify for themselves what their volunteeristic bliss was yeah and as I began to do more of that, I thought, boy, I could spend a lot of time helping other people figure out what their voluntaristic bliss is, but that's not necessarily my voluntaristic bliss. What do I want to do? <laughs> Bonnie had, at that time, begun to volunteer at an organization called the Hollywood Food Coalition. And I just fell in love with it when she introduced it to me. And I thought my talents were probably well-suited to helping yeah. it grow and to clarify what its mission and vision
3: yeah, should be. Yeah, yeah. It's can- been around
4: for a long time. Been around for almost 40 years, 38 years. So we were late to that game. They'd been doing amazing work for many, many, many years before we came on the scene.
3: It takes a special kind of personality, I think, to not just sit behind a computer and kind of do online activism. It takes a a special kind of person to interact with people directly and to have a direct effect rather than maybe circulating online petitions or getting into some other form of activism. You're one-on-one with people on a a regular basis. Is there something about your personality that draws you to those kinds of interactions?
4: Well, one, I really want to, and I I appreciate your, uh, asking Bonnie to join us because I want to give so many props to her because my, my role, in 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 all candor, I think, was to say, let's get a, a shitload of people who love this organization mm-hmm. together. That comes from having a theater background. Yeah, uh, you know, theater theater making is intensely communal. Uh, you have to value everybody. You have to get everybody in a room. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have fights. You're going to have the top. The clock is ticking. It, it's it's an, it, an intense experience. Even in my opinion, more so than than on camera work. Mm-hmm. The idea for me was that there are a lot of people who supported the Hollywood Food Coalition but hadn't gotten together to talk about its future and what the aspirational um, model should be. Yeah. What do we all want to build here? Because it's it's going to continue on for a while as a as a soup kitchen that doesn't re- generate a lot of revenue and doesn't have a huge following. But eventually, you're going to find that people who are the chief cook and bottle washers are going to want to leave, and you're not going to have any money to hire, salary, you know, hire salaried employees mm-hmm. to keep it going. So the idea of bringing everybody together to generate a vision, if it wasn't for Bonnie, who said, OK, some of the things that have emerged is we want to rescue more food and eventually share more food. If Bonnie hadn't on the ground started something called the Pickup Artists, 50 or so people who many of them were friends of ours, to rescue food from TV shows and movie sets to feed our own population. Wow. And to begin to with other groups. If she hadn't done that, we wouldn't have been able to springboard into something we call the exchange which is essentially a mechanism by which we expanded that capacity. We now rescue 3 million pounds of food a year, and we share it with about 130 to 150 other neighborhood groups to buttress and augment their meal programs. And that's Bonnie.
3: That's that's incredible.
4: To be Bonnie every day, who's out there doing so much to build community in our city. It's really, I get verklempt.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a staggeringly good idea. Uh, Like, that's something that we never really think about. Like, where does that uneaten food go? Food that's perfectly good that could actually be uh, enjoyed by someone. And it just gets thrown away most cases. But that to actually harness that and use that waste for something that's positive is exceptional. Not just in terms of the landfills and so forth, but in terms of actually feeding people. Such a great idea.
1: Well, there are a lot of organizations that are doing that yeah. uh, across the nation. Uh, food Rescue U.S. I think um, the thing is, is when we started uh, when we started volunteering seven or eight years ago, the word "rescue" for food didn't function for people. You would yeah. I'd say we're rescuing food, and people would sit there, and I go, "You don't understand what I'm saying," and they would go, "No, I don't. What? Why? What does that mean?" Even mm-hmm. and that exactly that idea that it's not trash a lot of the food that that is being thrown into the trash needs to be rescued because it's fully edible and that is the thing with television and film shoots and things like that that's your steak your fresh salads they i mean everything that they put out for catering for for actors and crew and all that kind of stuff you know if you i don't it's better now but back then if you were on a set the caterers didn't have time to do anything but trash 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 and it was hundreds of pounds of
4: it's a lot of where the impulse came from for both of us as having been on sets where you just see after the meal is over them sweep through and just dump this amazing mm-hmm. food into the can, and it's just like your your jaw drops yeah but but the other thing and i think this was where bonnie and i also felt very strongly is we were the hollywood food coalition that was the name mm-hmm. of the organization but we weren't doing a lot of coalition building. In fact, it appeared at the time to us as if we were sort of the redheaded stepsister in the community. We weren't particularly well-liked because we weren't you know, particularly Hmm. well-known. So we thought one of the most important things was to bring the idea of sharing what we rescue to other groups really to the forefront of our mission. And the idea that we're trying to, it's very hard to do, But we're trying to provide concierge level service so that we rescue food we talk to the groups who are interested in having food given to them and we say what do you need you are a for instance battered women's shelter you've got 30 people in your congregation and you have limited cooking capacity what could you use how often do you need it how much We ask them to let us know, and we don't necessarily have everything they may want, but we can tell them what we do have and what we can provide. And in that sense, it's not food dumping. One of the things we really wanted to avoid was to simply say to an organization, hey, we've got two pallets of okra. We'll drop them off at seven, take it or leave it. The the large Feeding America is an amazing organization, and I don't mean at all to run down what they do, but they're built to a giant scale. They collect in a giant scale, they distribute in a giant scale. We wanted to say, how do you serve more groups at a neighborhood level and particularly identify in the corridor of need where food deserts exist, those organizations that are being ignored?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And that, that again, so much of this is Bonnie's work that that to me, you know. My goal was to bring a bunch of people together and to keep talking about what we could do and to create some structure around the board and to a certain extent around staffing back when I was playing a slightly different role than I am now. Mm -hmm. Bonnie is the one who I think out in the field was making this shit happen. Yeah. I did some, but you know, I
1: wouldn't have done it if you hadn't come up with a structure and ideas and and I mean the whole idea truly of being a coalition. Being able to go out there and reach out to organizations, like John said, saying, do you need food? Yeah. And the answer being, we do desperately. I mean, what are you going to do but say, let me see your kitchen. Let me see your resources. Let's talk about this. And what are the services that you're providing? How can we better support that with food? That all came from your head.
4: But I also want to say that this was built on the 30-some years of amazing street-level service that was provided, particularly by a woman named Sherry Bonanno, that we both learned a a tremendous amount from. When we started volunteering, these core principles that she'd created, serving a hot, nutritious, multi-course meal every day of the week, never missed a day mm-hmm. in 37 years, and always giving people choice. Would you like vegetarian, vegan, carnivorian? starch with that. That whole idea of dig-
1: human dignity begins with choice. Yeah. You do not yeah. force. A lot of times at food kitchens, soup kitchens, and things like that people go through a line and it's spaghetti and it's spaghetti with meatballs. And if you're vegetarian, you're still going to eat that. You pick out Mm. your own meatballs. Right. And if you don't, if, I mean, I've, I've had people go through our line who will say, I don't want cheese on my broccoli can have the broccoli over there when you're serving them and uh, having volunteers at the Hollywood food coalition go, no, you have to take what I give you. And having Sherry say, that's not how we function. Mm. What would you like if they want that corner over here? It's a person's right to have some sort of sense of self.
3: Yeah, and that also gives them a sense of humanity that I think is sorely lacking. I mean, when we often think of unhoused people, we think of uh, people in any sort of need, they're sort of seen as a statistic, or it's a group of people that aren't really people. And in that way, at the very least, they themselves will feel like, well, this feels normal. This I, I can choose. Are you kidding me? This is great. I mean, what a way things. to brighten a day, you know?
4: Two other things that I think are really relevant to what this organization does. One is in its history, because we're so volunteer-driven. We need volunteers yeah. to cook. We need volunteers to serve. We need volunteers to process the food, share the food, pick up the food, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It brings thousands and thousands of community members into a relationship with the unhoused. So but that stigma, that sense of us versus them begins to erode. Yeah, And I think we see in our politics today, we see our leaders effectively wanting to stigmatize demonize and be punitive towards the other
2: yeah
3: including
4: poor people when i hear the the people on the right talk about san francisco or cities like it's i mean the word vermin is being used Mm. by a political candidate is a disgrace yep no human beings are, are, are first of all dignified people many of whom have fallen on on hard times Our job is to find a way to connect with them through a service that will encourage them to come back and back and back so that we can further connect them, which is the other part of our work to other service providers who do things we don't do. Actually,
1: I was talking talking to Sherry Bonanno the other day. We were at the exchange slinging some food around. And she was saying that she, again, she's always thinking. She wants us as an organization to keep talking about poverty, mm -hmm. to keep saying we're not allowing ourselves to understand that uh, there are people who really are on the poverty line very it, it's but it's not just people who have nothing it, there's a lot of people who yeah just can't afford food
4: yeah and, mm-hmm. and it's it's why for us the the motivating force to say let's partner with a lot of social service organizations so that it isn't just about the ha- unhoused that's a Definitely a portion of our population, but it's about all sorts of organizations that help people who've entered either willingly or somewhat unwillingly into drug and alcohol rehabilitation programs. It's people who are in senior citizen centers that don't have a lot of resources. You know,
1: I actually uh, we've may talk about this, but we give out lunch bags on on Sundays to organizations, uh, a lot of lunch bags for them Mm -hmm. to go do their work and stuff like that. Uh, We also, we're at a church, based at a church, and people will walk through and ask for lunch. Sometimes it's not like we line people up. It's just people might come through. And this last Sunday, a woman uh, probably in her 50s drove up in a car, and she said, what's going on here? Uh, And I said, "Um, we give out lunches. And she goes, oh. And I said, well, would you like one? And she said, well, yeah, I just lost my job. She goes, I'm not working right now, so that would be really that would be nice if I could. And I said, You want a turkey, a ham, or whatever? And she and she said, Turkey, please. She said, Could I get two? Hmm. She said, I have a friend. And she said, My friend really needs one too. And I gave them to her and she started crying. <sighs> wow. Yeah. And you go, I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. And she said, Thank you guys so much. And you know,
4: in an ideal world, the home we would build, and we're a couple of years away from, hmm. from getting off the campus where we currently, in essence, rent to our to a place of our own would want to be expansive enough for the other groups that could provide additional services to be on the premises so that people who come to us because there's a wonderful hot meal every night we can turn around and do a little bit of what we now do but more we could turn around and say there's a legal services agent might help you get your documentation in order there's somebody who might be able to help you kind of clear those ridiculous tickets you've been given you know so that you don't have tickets anymore if you have issues with you know the fact that you may have gotten out of prison and you can't get uh, job interviews let's talk to some job counseling folks we really want to find ways to help create hub spaces for folks so that when people in need come to us we can very easily say let us introduce you to
3: that's incredible so the the coalition is more than just the food it's basically uh, another social safety net uh, that's across the, idea. the board that's right
4: the idea. And And you know something that I, because I know you have you have you're political and have a political background. I mm-hmm. mean, to me, one of my great heroes is Francis Perkins, And I consider yeah. that when Roosevelt took office, he turned to people who in New York were building social service programs in the Great Depression and said, "What did you do, and how did you do it?" Mm-hmm. The cities, we often talk in our in our federal system are laboratories for innovation. And unfortunately, we have a weak federal government right now that doesn't create a social safety net. So more and more and more, in my opinion, it is the cities. Our towns and our cities that have to figure out how to deal with some of these problems that are not being dealt with at the federal level. So hopefully the time comes when a progressive administration that has the power to do more. And I'm I'm pro-Biden, so don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Progressive administration has the ability to do more, they can look to innovative solutions up all over this country and say, that works, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's good. Oh, and that look at what that person's doing. Come hither. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where's the next Francis Perkins? Somewhere, somewhere yeah. out here.
3: Yeah. I mean, government services can only go so far. It requires organizations like the Hollywood Food Coalition to fill in all of those gaps and and where there are openings in the social safety net. That's where you come in. That's what it seems yeah. like. Yeah. The, the although
4: although I, I would say to, to my to my way of thinking, yeah. in an idealized world, there would be no need for me.
3: Mm hmm.
4: In an idealized world, we would live in a society where the federal government, the state governments, the local governments understand that the need to have a comprehensive social safety net that is paid for by all of us through graduated income tax. Functions. Because that isn't the world we live in, we're needed. Yeah. And that's where, to your question long ago, what push was supposed to be was a way to encourage people to figure out what that meant for them it became easier for me to think about, what if I just try and dive deep into the thing that means the most to me?
3: By the way, whatever happened to Push, is that still a thing?
4: Uh, you know, oddly enough, there's a group called Hodge, Hang Out, Do Good, that we work with that did what I wanted to do with Push, and I love those people. She has yeah. five or six thousand folks that she communicates with on a regular basis. She's extremely discursive. She has created a clearinghouse of ideas, actions, much of it political, that she invites her membership to participate in. Mm-hmm. I look at that and I think, oh, that was push. Thank you for doing it. No, I don't have to. I can do this instead. That's
3: right. Um, I mean, that's, that's what's uh, so great about the atmosphere of volunteerism is if you see a better idea and someone doing it better, there doesn't really seem to be a sense of ownership about your initial idea as long as it's getting done by someone and getting done effectively, right?
4: I, I kind of I honestly say it, anytime anybody asks, it's like, what can I do? It's like, well, first off, look, look in your own backyard and find out yeah. who's doing cool shit and mm-hmm. join them. I mean, yeah. you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Somebody else is probably doing something that is amazing and and put, put your energy into it.
3: Yeah. You know? Okay, short break. Back with more John Billingsley and Bonnie Friderisi right after these words.
2: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall.
1: You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
2: You can't always get a clean you can feel good about inside and out, unless you're using Bubble Genius Bath & Body products.
3: How is it possible that the coalition is the only consistent nightly meal service from Santa Monica to downtown L.A.? That's well, it's important.
4: it's important to say that, you know, and this is true for cities generally, yeah. is homeless populations, the, the the city politics politicians want to segregate the mm-hmm. homeless population as best they can so they are not perceived as a citywide problem. Yeah. So the huge majority of people who are homeless, are still based downtown. Mm -hmm. There are nightly meal programs that feed more people than we do downtown. It's just that the spread of homelessness across the whole city, and LA is vast, has meant that there are now pockets of the city where there's a a larger homeless population. Mm -hmm. That portion of the population anywhere, be it Hollywood, be it Santa Monica, be it et cetera, is not itself anywhere near the size of downtown. So the need for as robust a meal program as exists downtown isn't there.
3: You know, going back to that, issue the homelessness issue is there one thing that people don't understand about whether it's the root cause of the current homelessness crisis or the people yeah. themselves i think there's a lot of yeah. I'll uh, throw misapprehension i'll throw, yeah. I'll
4: throw something now. that never gets discussed yeah is we have we have a federal government right now that doesn't believe in public education right so let's talk about the la public school system 40 kids in a class many of whom don't necessarily have english as a first language they come from backgrounds where the parents themselves perhaps don't read or haven't themselves graduated from school you have people graduating from public school who do not have the capacity to compete in a marketplace like Los Angeles where the minimum wage is roughly 20 bucks Um, they have to survive many of them not all of them many of them will turn to crime or drugs Hmm. you get busted you go to jail you come out you get a prison record you can't work yeah so that that to me is one of the pipelines to, you know, living on the street. Not right. the only one. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, manner, form mm-hmm. that people who live on the streets are criminals. I'm just saying that there is one pipeline that to me requires a more robust federal response, and that is education and recognizing that prison reform requires people not to be treated when they go to jail for, for petty-ass drug cr- crimes, like yeah. Yeah. criminals who can never have a life afterwards.
3: Is there assistance that the Hollywood Food Coalition provides as far as uh, a drug interdiction? Because I know that that uh, both uh, fentanyl and the new form of meth, the P2P meth, has yeah. been one of the biggest culprits in terms of keeping people unhoused, where they want to stay close to their dealers, and that's where you end up with some of these encampments, because the the high is so quick, and the DTs come on very uh, shortly after that, and so they want to be nearby. And so as a consequence of that that's kind of tying them we, down we, to We
4: this. work with a lot of organizations that provide housing and provide access to housing. We ourselves are not in the business of of helping to place somebody into a specific program, mm-hmm. helping to place somebody into a specific drug and alcohol rehabilitation. Well,
1: we program. have a nav- we have a navigator now. Yeah. I mean, okay. that, this that this has been a very rapid growth for the Hollywood Food Coalition of mm. being able to actually hire people. When we started volunteering, it was an all-volunteer organization. Yeah. Uh, now it has, I think, 29 employees. And one of the the uh, hires was to get someone who could stand on the line at night when we when people are getting their meal service and identify people. That's part of the being able to have people come every night if they want to, to eat and things like that. Yeah is getting that familiarity where you can start saying, hey, can I talk to you about what are your needs and then start to guide them where they can get
4: support. But the growth of our program and the the need to move to a home of our own is because Mm. those partner organizations that you want present when you're Mm. serving, they can't come in the evening. Yeah. But so ultimately, we need a campus where there's not only a nightly meal program, mm-hmm. but where there's also an afternoon snack where you can come and you can have a cup of coffee, where you can come and and read a book in a small library. You have to create a home. And the home is where you have these other groups come. The hardest thing, and you make a a very good point, there are lots of reasons why people don't necessarily want to get off the streets. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be separated from their pets. They don't want to be separated from their friends. They don't necessarily want to move into a housing situation where their rules are going to be very restrictive, where they're going to be searched every night, where they can't have people visit. There are a lot of reasons to not be excited about moving. To convince somebody it's worthwhile, you have to build a relationship. And it is a long, hard, slow, arduous process. And then there has to be the housing available, and there simply isn't.
3: Do you find that you're building relationships with some of the people who avail themselves of the meal services and so forth? Uh, Through those interactions, there are maybe ongoing? um... And
4: and I'm not personally – I mean, I started volunteering making – fruit salads and and cleaning <laughs> cleaning dishes, which is certainly not something that I'm good at, uh, and serving a little bit on the line. Mm-hmm. My, my argument, in a way, is that no one can do everything. I am best suited to help organize a board and to spread yeah. a message to raise money and awareness. So I'm not actually having anywhere near as much personal interaction with our clients as I used to and as as many people in our organization <clears> do. But yes, there's definitely a deep sense of intimacy, warmth, and friendship that we seek to establish with our clients. And we have an amazing staff, a wonderful woman, Erin who has taken over as our kitchen manager, wow. who's just got, like, I, I get reclemped again just thinking about her. She came to town to be an actress. She started volunteering as a dishwasher. She fell in love with the organization. Two babies in, she's now like, you know, I can't imagine life without her.
3: <laughs> just incredible. Uh, what was it like running the Hollywood Food Coalition during the worst parts of the pandemic? I mean, that must have been a, an enormous challenge to get we, to the place we where you're on one again. We
4: drove a truck through the opportunity, and that's the one I'm proudest yeah. of when that crisis hit it was like okay suddenly the world is waking up and going oh fuck hunger oh shit yeah
1: also here all the restaurants and businesses and stuff shut down so there was a massive amount of food that needed to be placed i mean we ended up having a 6 foot long freezer in our garage because an argentinian restaurant closed and they had thousands of pounds of meat which and we need protein is huge for a nightly meal and we yeah. didn't have food budget we don't have a food budget. It's all donated food for these meals. So we just threw it in our garage because we had, we ended up starting the, yeah. that concept of an exchange at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. All this food became available. John said we should share it with other organizations. A church came through United Methodist uh, Church in Hollywood and said, you know what? Our- but we
4: asked, that's the key. We asked. We went. We went around town and said, "Would you be interested in hosting us? If we rescued food, could we keep it at your place? Could we could we have people come and pick it up at your place? What would you say to that?" During COVID, these churches were vacant. One said yes.
1: They said we do. We 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 give out food, and we can't do it because of the pandemic. We have a huge kitchen. We're not using it, and we have a banquet room, uh, which, I mean, I I I look at that banquet room. It's for for um you know baptisms and things like that it's beautiful church i look at that bank banquet room and i remember having fourteen thousand pounds of candy from nbc universal wow mountains of it harry potter hogwarts candy because they had to get rid of it because they shut down and we were able to say okay we're going to go with this idea of a hub if -hmm. you have you can have food come in we will sort through the food we will compost the bad stuff we'll start putting together these packages i call them tickets for different organizations to come pick up and we'll schedule them so that they can get food so they can ride out this pandemic as well and uh it it caught on and it worked I, really well I,
4: i'm really proud that we you know i mean it's that that ridiculous you know and somewhat mm. painful bromide of like you know treat every shitty thing as a as an opportunity yeah right and, We did, you Mm -hmm. know, overnight
1: Sherry Bonanno turned our we had a sit down meal service and we served 200 people at the Salvation Army. People would Mm -hmm. line up and it would be like uh, no barrier. Anyone could have food. Didn't matter if you had money or not. It would be like 65 people at a time could come into the Salvation Army area and we would set up tables and people could sit down. And there's that interaction you're talking about with volunteers sitting there and talking. Yeah. Overnight it had to stop because of COVID and we had to find a way of still feeding people, mm-hmm. but you know, not indoors. And uh, I remember going to uh, res- Restaurant Depot with Sherry Bonanno, testing different kinds of containers to see if we could fit the right, you know, the starch, the protein and all that, and pa- how to package it, how to put it together, how we would afford it, yeah, and how we would, we had to come up with a whole system inside the kitchen to pump out. And now it was 300 people were lining up, yeah, so you- 300 meals. And how do you keep people moving through and not sit down and not eat? But that's
4: that's the challenge of being not-for-profits, which I, which I think is what makes, you know, I mean, scale is an interesting thing. I, I think the challenge for an organization like ours is to find a way to keep a sense of human scale because mm-hmm. we're not trying to be Red Cross and we're not trying to be feeding America. We're trying to be a tremendous neighborhood resource. If you get too big, you can't pivot. Yeah, We have to pivot. We have to pivot. You'll always have to pivot. You don't know where the hell... You know the next crisis is going to come from and you don't you know know what on the ground might happen that might require you to rethink the way you provide different kinds of food to different populations um i think the flexibility within the model has been a real strong suit for us
3: to be perfectly clear about what hollywood food coalition achieves eighty thousand meals served to low income and food insecure people every single year i mean that's a gigantic achievement and also I think a statement about how many people are being left behind at the same time too. Well, and, going, yeah that's this is great. And but.
4: that's what, that's what emerges from our nightly meal program. Yeah. When I consider what the 3 million pounds of food a year does by, by in essence, creating meals for all these other groups, mm-hmm. that number is, is actually low. Yeah. Bonnie's sandwich wow. program. Three thousand sack lunches. These are very high end multi element sack lunches. There's a sandwich, there's a beverage, there's a snack, there's a sweet, there's a fruit or a vegetable. There's usually a note. That there's frequently beautiful designs and illustrations on the lunches. Wonderful. That's a meal. So those she pushes out twenty five three thousand every Sunday. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one hundred and fifty additional thousand a year. Yeah. So honestly, what I would say in terms of meals served, it's it's considerably more than that number. Um,
3: and I, I love to hear about the quality of the food that you're serving. Sure. And just to go back to that real quick, because what you don't we want to do. A professional,
4: we hired an amazing professional chef who yeah. said, I don't want to be in the professional world anymore. I don't want to cook for a three-star, four-star restaurant. I want to give my talents to people who are hungry. Right, and right. He, it's amazing what he's done to our program.
3: Yeah, because you, you don't want to solve the food problem and then create a healthcare problem.
4: Yeah, and you don't want to give people food that makes them feel like they they aren't respected it's yeah. we work with an organization tell the village services story which i just love um, i love this story
1: village family services that was one of the first organizations uh, where we experimented with saying to their uh executive director do you guys need food so village family services is uh, an organization they're great they're in the valley obviously um they have two locations and they work with at-risk teens So teens who are on the street and need housing and they uh, try they get them housing and they provide them with counseling, with classes, try to help them get jobs, uh, clothing. Often they're asking me for blankets and hoodies. The kids are freezing on the streets and things like that. Um, And so we said, do you need food for your program? And the executive director, Terry, said absolutely oh my god we've been praying for this you know mm-hmm. and i went oh okay and i said so i went and i looked at their kitchen and they had a, ref- a normal refrigerator little kitchen no stove their a uh, director of one of their programs bought a george foreman little tiny grill so that if he got a hold of bread or cheese he could make a grilled cheese sandwich for the kids mm-hmm. and then they would get panda express they would go pick it up in a metal tin one tin once a week from Panda Express. They put it out hot and the kids could spoon some food for themselves. And we were like, okay, we we can do this. We can make this better. And what we started doing, for instance, we hooked them up with the show, The Prom. The movie. Oh, mm-hmm. was it a movie? With Meryl Streep yeah. uh, in it. And uh, the gag would be, uh, I started it out by going and picking up the food from their set, packaging it, dropping it off to them so they could have it hot for their kids and then training them to do it on their own because they were only 10 minutes away. And uh, she called me and told me that the kids looked up the show and they were all excited because they realized they were getting the same food that Meryl Streep was getting.
4: (laughs) That's wonderful. All of a sudden they're going from maybe a grilled cheese sandwich once a week to every day, fried chicken, okra, black eyed peas, cream, cauliflower, macaroni and cheese, peach, Melba. And surprise, surprise, there are more kids showing up. (laughs) It's incredible. And that's the point It's you've got the food is there. The program works. If you're not feeding the people in your program, you
1: may lose people. Well, something that was very interesting to me, because it it highlights that the whole dignity thing is that the director who had bought the George Foreman grill when he was showing me the kitchen, he said, well, you know, we do get a little bit of donations here. And he kind Mm -hmm. of like that and i looked at him he said but you look he said the bread is moldy and he goes the cans of tuna and stuff it's expired and he said i don't want my kids to see that i Mm. don't want them to think that that's how much people value them is to give moldy bread and expired cans of food to them
3: yeah yeah dignity is such a big part of this we're working
4: on a margin and the margin is you know when people do donate food when grocery stores donate food they're donating at, at its at their version of its expiry date, mm-hmm. which is not its actual expiry date, but we've got to get that food out quick. Yeah. The other thing we do that I always want to talk about is we work as a coalition with other partners to try and figure out what are the systemic problems that require all of us working together. How do you get more refrigeration into the community, into the into the mechanism? How do you get more storage, more volunteers, more transportation? How can you say ding, 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 ding? We just got a wonderful opportunity to go pick up a shitload of great food. Ding, 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 ding. Who can take it? Ding, ding, ding. ding. Where does it go? Got to move fast.
1: This is the safety net that you were talking about as well. I mean, the, the idea I mean, I have been saying this like a lot lately. There is enough food in the world to feed everybody. It's all logistics that's the thing. I mean, when we were doing the pickup artists, there was a reason why people weren't picking up food from shows. It's because you have to stay on the, you have to text with texting and GPS. You can actually find where the, the food is mm-hmm. and you can text drivers and say, wait, they pushed lunch. Don't go yet. Go in an hour and a half because they won't let you t- take the food yet. Or wait, get, go right now. They Their lunch is early. You got to get there so we can get that food and get out of there. But it's all, it's also driving food around. And that was yeah. the whole idea. If we can get cities to recognize if you put refrigerators everywhere or storage. If you put storage drop-off, I was talking about that with Sherry mm-hmm. last week. Can we find places where people could drop off food at two o'clock in the morning? Yeah. When their shooter, their whatever they're yeah. doing is done. They have a code, they open it up, they put the food in there, it gets registered and someone goes and picks it up the next day. I mean there are ways to do this, but you yeah. have to
4: think and that's the long, slow, hard, arduous cook. And you know, as we turn a little bit to the event that we produce that actually tries to generate money for the food coalition, track Talks. Yes. One, I find myself telling people when they consider whether they want to make a contribution. Understandably, people might say, why do I give money to an organization in Los Angeles? Why don't I just give it to somebody nearby? A. Great. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. B. If you're inclined to donate to us, one of the things that I like to emphasize is not-for-profits have to model behaviors and actions and solutions that other not for profits can look at and go, Oh, oh, if all the things that we should steal from each other, we should steal those ideas. So what I hope we are trying to do is create notions on the ground that other people can look at and go, I can see how that could work here. That's the laboratory that is the food coalition. And the ideas that emerge in the food coalition, to me is one of the things that I like to pitch.
3: You know. So talk about the Trek Talks uh, telethon, which is January 13th. Uh, how did that get started? Because
0: this so I was on, one. Yeah. I was
4: on a, a franchise called Star Trek. Yes. Star Trek started
3: back in 19. <laughs> I've heard of it, yeah.
4: <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I was in the show that killed the franchise, although fortunately the franchise resurrected itself, Enterprise. Um, one thing that appealed to me tremendously about being on that franchise and getting to mm-hmm. know a lot of the fans and a lot of the podcasters and a lot of the celebrities mm-hmm. is that the ethos of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry's fundamental vision, is rooted in coalition building. Yep, it's the Federation, a Federation of changemakers, as mm-hmm. a pal of mine likes to call it, and the idea that there was such a, a nice fit between the vision and and the. Sh- and the work the Food Coalition does just led me to think, well, what if we actually used the Star Trek community to help fundraise for the coalition? So I started something called Trek Talks three years ago, and it is an eight hour digital convention. There are panels with all sorts of fabulous people. Anson Mount was on last year, Scott Bakula was on. I could go on and on and on. We have scientists, we have producers, we have directors, we have designers, we have actors, we have musical entertainment. And I'm Jerry Lewis, uh, without the panache.
3: <laughs> so I should really look forward to seeing you at like three o'clock in the morning with your tie on. Yeah, exactly. and just... my
4: spangly jacket and my. Bonnie yes. <laughs> Gordon is my co-host. She provides panache. Uh, I gab, she panaches. Yeah, we, we introduce, we la la la, we do all the Jerry Lewis stick. Please, would you consider yada 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 yada? We give stuff away to people who donate at certain levels, cool prizes. Last year we raised about $110,000, the year before about 80 i would love to keep trying to see if we can raise more. Yeah. It's a way for us as an organization to spread the word, to get the, the, the entire Star Trek population involved. It's also a way, frankly, to kind of continue to do something that I like to do, which is to talk about um, mm. this work in the biggest sense. One of the things that's emerged is actually a podcast that we now have, which is called Trektivism which is a podcast that exists for fans and people in the community to come on and talk about the cool shit they do so that we can raise general awareness of the fact that this amazing population that support this franchise are for the most part progressive and deeply invested in doing shit to help other people.
3: Yeah, that was one of the things I was blown away by. And I shouldn't have been surprised, but back in the summer, I started a Trek podcast with uh, Mary Trump. It was sort of a take on Star Trek from a political point of view. Like, okay, well, let's (laughs) look at the political allegory of Star Trek. And uh, I was just blown away by the positivity and togetherness of both the fans and the actors from yeah. all the show- I mean, across all the shows, such a Maybe. different environment in the Star Trek universe than there would be. And I'm not trying to be competitive or anything like that, but any other sort of genre uh, uh, franchise or universe. Star Trek is unique insofar as there's a a sense of uh, community among uh, Star Trek. uh, Yeah, amazing,
4: amazing family. And one thing that interests me, too, is that just, you know, there's a which I totally get. I mean, I I have like, you know, like like a ball celebrity. There's a ball. There's, you know, minor leagues and there's like major league. I have a ball celebrity. But what interests me, and I understand why people who are like, you know, like cock of the walk celebrities might go, I have yep. to keep, my, I don't want to, I'm really interested in breaking down an artificial line that exists between celebrities and fans so that we yep. can have experiences together so that celebrities who may have philanthropic interests could recognize that fans want access. That's what fans want. Yep. They want to spend time with you. It's like throw a party at a pub. And invite everybody, and instead of signing pictures and charging them, ask them to make a donation to your charity. And now you've just raised five ten thousand bucks yeah. for the charity of your choice, all because you were friendly. That's incredible. And this franchise is uniquely suited to that. Yeah, yeah. and that's part of what I kind of want to keep like pushing. You know?
3: Yeah, and so for the next uh, Trek talks, you've also got Tom Wright, who played Tuvix. Uh, famously on on Voyager, Michelle yep. Hurd from Star Trek Picard, uh, yep. Ethan Phillips, Tawny Newsom from Lower Decks, Jonathan Del Arco who played Hugh on uh, Next Generation and also on Picard. So many other Trek actors are participating in all of this. It's
4: Drake, Spiner, we've got a Picard panel. We've got asks out to LeVar and Michael Dorn. I don't like to talk about the people we've asked who haven't responded
2: yet. But
3: we've got
4: (laughs) 75. Guilt
3: guilt works.
4: (laughs) Guilt works, that's right. That's right. LeVar, you said you'd call me. (laughs) Um. No, it's it's great fun, and also something we take a lot of pride in is that we have a lot of beso- behind a uh, uh, Nami Melamod, the the brilliant composer, yeah. who has been composing for Star Trek for some years. We've got a segment with her. We've got the uh, women of STEM, including mm-hmm. we hope uh, Doctor May Jamison. The astronaut, as well as some other people who've done extraordinary things in the sciences, frequently scientists come up to me, which is just ridiculous because I'm an idiot and say, You inspired me to do to become an astronaut, to become a psych. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you only knew me, yeah, see, I can't you... even hammer a nail, but
3: but you're so, so convincing. Well, your your portrayals yes. of these characters, these experts. Yes. Uh, you nailed it and and so that's inspiring uh, i also
4: play a lot of serial killers so i i you know in all fairness i i just to say um i i think it's it's one it's wonderful that there's so many people in the star trek orbit who are willing to come on one of the panels is trektivism and this year yeah we had i phoenix who does something called trek the vote mm-hmm. which is attempt to actually galvanize a star trek community to play a role politically as progressives i think she is a hero in our community yeah. so she's gonna come on and be a guest we've got people who run fan clubs that have a progressive and altruistic spirit to come on and speak it's soup to nuts star trek and unlike a regular convention you don't have to wear pants
3: <laughs> see big advantage see there you go that how long does it last by the way how long do you normally go again three it's days eight it's hours Eight hours, 10 in the
4: morning pacific time to <laughs> six in the evening pacific we announce the key like whoo la la guests in each two-hour block mm-hmm. but we want to have enough surprise to keep people kind of like you know i can't i can't i can't go to the bathroom i'll just go in this cup because who might i miss <laughs>
3: That's right. I think Jerry would just go. I mean, just standing there on camera, he would just. I, let, let I, uh,
4: I have not worn pants for two years. I don't intend to wear <laughs> pants this year. By God! In fact, I worked <laughs> into the act last year. Well,
3: um, uh, we're just about out of time, and I January
4: thirteenth. Yes. that's the key. Track uh tracktalk.net. Yep. We also have a, a wonderful sponsors. Track Geeks sponsor us. Roddenberry Podcast sponsors us trek movie sponsors us and you can also go to hofoco.org which is the hollywood food coalition's website and the link there so there are all sorts of ways to watch it on youtube um i fortunately don't have to be on the marketing and tech talk team so i don't have to get into the weeds about how but all the how is out there if you
3: go (laughs) Well, I'm going to put a link in the description for all of this stuff. The Hollywood Food Coalition, Trek Talks, and make sure everything's covered in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. I wanted to talk with you extensively about acting and Star Trek and the West Wing and things like that, but you know what? You're going to have to come back. So both of you are invited back. I want both members of this uh, amazing power couple to join me again uh, next year as soon as possible. And we can talk about all the fun stuff too. So
4: we have played the husband and wife together a number of times in the movies and we have stories.
3: I'm so psyched Well, the Trek talks fundraiser again is January 13th, starting at nine 45 in the morning Pacific time, trektalks.net for more information there. And the Hollywood food coalition is hofoco.com. I love that domain name. .org. Yeah. Oh, is it.org? Okay, so it's H-O-F-O-C-O dot org. Gotcha. Oh, and uh, my go-to website for all things Star Trek is trekmovie.com. Just want to make sure I'm giving a plug for uh, Tom and Lori over at the All Access Lori Podcast.
4: Alster, Lori <laughs> yeah.
3: It was Lori who introduced us, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, getting to know both of you has been a, a, a huge gift uh, for this old Star Trek nerd at the end of a crazy year. So uh, thank you so much for reaching out, and I, I thank you for your volunteerism and everything you're doing for uh, your community. Uh, you're going above and beyond, and that's, uh, I, ca- I can't state that loudly enough.
4: Well, thank you, both. Thanks for ta- having us on. Thanks for taking my thank time. You. I really appreciate
3: it. Thank you both. This has been an absolute pleasure. Take care. Have a great holiday season. And we'll talk to you next year. We're on, right?
0: <laughs> well, count on. Yeah.
3: Sounds great. Okay. Good Good luck with Trek Talks. I can't wait.
0: As I walked to work, the ground split beneath my feet. And as I palm my chest, I felt that I was somehow incomplete. I was the sh- was less important than the hellscape on 9th street by my lunch break the sky had cracks in the glass Maybe riddled in the sky, but until I get away, I'm not dying to try and understand the metaphors within the sky. Until I finally fall asleep And I think some metaphor for life May be riddled in the sky But until I get away I'm not dying to try And understand the metaphors Within the sky